It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. It is a pleasure to welcome back to the show someone we had on, uh, I guess, geez, almost two years ago, Dr. Jack Rozilski, and he's an associate professor of disaster and emergency at York University in Toronto. He is active in post-disaster field research, as well as teaching emergency management at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Now, previously joining the faculty at York in 2016, Dr. Rozilski has been a professor of emergency management in the United States, and that was since 2000. 2005, with the faculty positions at the University of North Texas and Western Illinois University. He also holds a doctorate from Michigan State University. And prior to joining academia, Dr. Radzilski has worked as hazard as a hazard migration planner. And we are here to talk with him about an article he authored in the conversation. It is entitled Canada in Crisis, Why Justin Trudeau Has Invoked the Emergencies Act to End Trucker Protests. Now, that's one of the articles he has authored. He has also authored another one that ties in with this. It is called The Occupation of Ottawa by the Freedom Convoy Has the Potential for an urban siege. Now, of course, that one came out prior to the one we're going to be talking to him about. And of course, since both those articles have come out, uh, things have changed. And so there's new information to add. But it's a pleasure to have uh, Dr. Jack Rozilski here on the show once again. And I also understand that uh, Dr. Rozilski has a statement he wanted to make uh, prior to us uh, getting underway with the conversation. But uh, Dr. Rozilski, welcome back to the show. Oh, uh, David, uh, uh, thank you for the kind introduction and i think it's most uh interesting that uh the last time uh i was on the program we were talking about a similar topic but in the united states <laughs> when former president trump was using dangerous language concerning the potential uh use of the insurrection act mm. in the united states mm. and that was back in june of 2020 mm-hmm. now um we know um Mr. Trump is no longer in a position of power in the United States. We know that he did not implement the the Insurrection Act in the United States uh, during the summer of 2020 with the civil unrest related to the killing of George Floyd, Mm. etc. But now it's most bizarre that we are here in Canada. I believe you're broadcasting to... um, Toronto, also in Ottawa on the radio and throughout Canada on the internet, that we are talking about this topic with respect to it actually happening in Canada with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his use of the his first time use mm-hmm. of the Emergencies Act in Canada. It's mm-hmm. uh, I guess I could say my state what I wanted to say to start out with that that sometimes uh, truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed it is. Um, yes. So it's it's also interesting, as you uh, point out in your article, that it, it was in fact uh, Justin's father that actually invoked the, uh, the previous version of this uh, Emergencies Act uh, when his father was in, in uh, was he was the prime minister of Canada. Uh, yes, yes, that's correct. And um, uh, Mr. Moses, uh, what you're referring to is the War Measures uh, Act. Mm-hmm. Um, the War Measures Act was a former federal law in Canada that gave 
the Canadian government the ability to use extra powers during times of war, invasion, insurrection, real or apprehended, mm -hmm. meaning feared. Mm -hmm. Now, we saw the War Measures Act used um, three times in Canadian history. <clears throat> Once from 1914 to 1920 during World War I. Once during World War II from 1939 to 1945. And both of those uses involved the arrest, uh, the, the arrest and internment of Canadians who were thought to be uh, uh, subversive enemy threats. The most recent use of the War Measures Act was during the October crisis in 1970, where there was the uh, situation of um, domestic terrorism as uh, related to the uh, circumstance with uh, Quebec uh, separatists, where there were uh, two uh, uh, kidnappings that took place, where there are a number of bombings taking place in places like uh, Montreal. Again, this is in the late 1960s and early 1970s. That was the time when Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, implemented the War Measures Act during peacetime, where more than 450 people in Quebec who um, were uh, believed to have been part of an armed insurrection were summarily uh, detained, where we saw actions taken of censorship, arrest, uh, detention, deportation, um, um, the um, other measures, including taking over uh, property, uh, other measures, including the troops being put on the street in support of the War Measures Act to put down what was seen as an insurrection taking place in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it had not been hasn't been used since that time, correct? Yeah. Now, now what happened since? And this is a, a point of confusion that I've been hearing in the uh, debate. Uh, currently taking place around all of this. Mm. Given that the use of the War Measures Act uh, was seen as um, in a negative light mm. after it happened, as something that um, that uh, took away um, civil liberties, mm. the War Measures Act was phased out right. in 1988. And it was replaced by what we call the Emergencies Act. So the War Measures Act is no longer in place. That's past history. Yep. We have something now called the Emergencies Act, which came into law in 1988. And the Emergencies Act was meant to be a last resort federal law that could be used to respond to an urgent, temporary, and critical emergency that would endanger the well-being of Canada on a national level. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, and of course, we've we have heard um, uh, Justin Trudeau. He has been on to talk about the powers that are going to be implemented through this, and what is not going to be implemented, and what the very strict lines that are going to be drawn in how this will be used. Uh, yes, because with the War Measures Act. Uh, in retrospect, one of the perceived problems was the enormous amount of authority that the government was able to use under the War Measures Act. Mm -hmm. Now, in between um, the uh, War Measures Act and the 
Emergencies Act coming into place in 1988, uh, we had the circumstance of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, mm -hmm. which came on board in 1982, enshrining uh, specific civil liberties in Canada. So the war, excuse me, the current Emergencies Act of 1988, which has now been put into effect in first time, has been put together with respect to the Charter of Rights and uh, Freedoms, where there are a, a number of checks and balances supposedly engineered into the Emergencies Act, which make it a much different beast from the War Measures Act. Mm. So if we want to say, if we want to compare the War Measures Act to the Emergencies Act, from the conceptual perspective, we could think of these last resort extreme measures coming into place and in the worst type of disaster, crisis, or emergency. Both of the acts have that, have that intention. But now that the War Measures Act has been appealed, uh, excuse me, been repealed, and the Emergencies Act is in place, the Emergencies Act takes a slightly broader perspective, where it has emergencies declared as four different types of emergencies that it could be used for. A public welfare emergency, we could consider that to be maybe uh, the largest natural disaster that you could imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps the loss of the entirety of Vancouver in a massive earthquake, mm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, um, there was not a public welfare emergency declared during, uh, uh, during COVID-19, which we are still uh, living with in the pandemic, where COVID-19 has killed approximately 36,000 Canadians since COVID first came to Canada on January 25, 2020. But even with the death of 36,000 Canadians, the Emergencies Act was not deemed as necessary to come into effect. But now what we have the declaration made for now is the second type of emergency that can be used under the Emergencies Act that would be a public order emergency. There are also provisions for international emergencies and warfare or uh, wartime emergencies that the Emergencies Act can be used under. But what we are living through right now, what is in effect at the present time under the Emergencies Act is a public order emergency. Mm. It is interesting about that as you describe it, um, but but what comes to mind when you do say that is, if if it were to have been an evoke, an invoked through the pandemic, it sounds like we'd be trying to take on a virus. <laughs> that's, what sounds, yes. that's what it sounds like to me. Um, where, whereas you, you can't, how do you take on a virus? Whereas you, you certainly can see in this situation the places where, uh, where, for instance, downtown Ottawa uh, had the, this this convergence of people and trucks and vehicles that uh, basically, you know, locked out people from from getting to their offices and took over the streets. That's a little bit different than trying to take on something that is floating around in the air. Yeah, but the way it could have been potentially used 
Um, we've heard over the past uh, 26 months in the pandemic of um, certain places taking a COVID zero policy, mm. meaning that there are there is a very, very, very strict quarantine put in place. Mm. Very, very strict uh, restrictions on movement. And we've heard um, and what we've observed over the past uh, two years, places like China have implemented very strict COVID-19 uh, public health and safety policies. Whereas in Canada, we've also had some of the strongest restrictions in North America with the lockdowns in Toronto going for uh, over 400 days, mm. uh, which have affected us all in many ways, physically mm -hmm. and socially. Mm -hmm. But the extent of the restrictions could have been made much greater mm. if the government chose to do that. But provincial government, federal government, local governments in Canada made the determination that the extraordinary powers of the Emergencies Act were not needed to respond to the pandemic emergency. But yet what we've seen over the past uh, about uh, two and a half weeks over the past uh, month right now with the occupation of Ottawa and also the blockages at international border crossings. For some reason, it's been determined that the present state of affairs in Canada constitutes a public order emergency of the highest extent. Mm. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. This is Moment of Truth. My guest here on the show is Dr. Jack Rodzilski. He is an associate professor of disaster and emergency at York University in Toronto. Dr. Rodzilski, you know, as we were talking, I can't help but think about, as you were mentioning off the top of our conversation, that you're very busy at this time. And I imagine that exactly what we're talking about, you are having these kind of discussions in your class with your students. It must be... I guess, a very stimulating time for you and your students to be discussing this kind of thing. It really, I'm guessing it's really giving you a lot to talk about in your classes and discuss. No, uh, uh, that is uh, uh, correct, because um, first of all, at the university, um, we're beginning to resume in-person activities. We're not quite 100% back yet, uh, but we have people from around Canada, including Ottawa, in attendance at York University mm. and the Disaster and Emergency Management Program. And you mentioned that um, th this program is also broadcast in Ottawa. And mm -hmm. I just have to pause and we have to acknowledge just the suffering and the traumas and the anxieties that the residents of downtown Ottawa adjacent to the parliamentary precinct went through over the last month and mm. this whole uh, a a a episode. If mm -hmm. That's not an emergency of the highest order, what is, um, given what's happened in our capital city. Mm. But in, in terms of just looking at how we can dissect this current crisis, on one hand, we have this, the, we have the day-to-day -day management issues, which are tremendous. Uh, for example, with what's happening in um, Ottawa right now, um, of, or what we've seen in Ottawa and what we potentially may see again, how do we engage in police action to end the occupation 
in a way where police officers aren't injured, protesters are not injured, citizens are not injured, and we don't burn down the city of Ottawa in the meantime. Mm -hmm. How do we end the occupation in a safe manner? Then once that takes place, how do we go back now in places like Ottawa and begin the disaster recovery, picking up the mess that has been left behind, Mm. which is uh, a, a tremendous repairing all the damage to infrastructure, but then at the same time, dealing with the intangible effects that citizens of Ottawa have faced with the constant interruptions, the honking of horns, the intimidation, the threats. Mm. That's a whole other type of social recovery Mm -hmm. that will take a long time. But then even beyond this immediate, these immediate concerns, which we're dealing with on an hour by hour basis, what are the bigger implications of the first ever time Canada has implemented this Emergencies Act? Because we mentioned earlier the War Measures Act was used three times, but that's past history. Never in the history of the nation have our leaders determined a disaster, including the largest, one of the largest disasters, maybe the largest disaster Canada has ever faced, COVID-19. None of that rose to the level of putting the Emergencies Act into effect. Yet, What we've seen over the past month with the anti-vaccine and anti-mandate protesters, um, occupiers, and persons making blockades, that type of crisis has prompted this Emergencies Act to be put into effect. So now, what are the future implications of this? Are we potentially normalizing this form of management of emergencies in Canada using extraordinary measures. I think those are some very, very big questions for us to consider in the context of Canada's parliamentary democracy. Mm. And do you have some viewings on some of those comments that you just made about what are the potential implications for the future? I, 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 I've been asked that question a lot over uh, over the past two weeks. Mm. And I think that once we have had time to digest what is happening and reflect on what's happening, perhaps historians will be able, able to better answer those questions. Mm. Uh, we are still in the midst of this crisis, and I'm reluctant to make a broader conclusion on what's happening Mm. until we see actually how this plays out. Uh, But what I I would like to say that at this uh, juncture, I would urge uh, uh, prudence on all sides, where I think given the state of social upheaval we see in Canada right now, that it would be worthwhile to attempt to figure out ways in which we can lower the temperature of this crisis, which is at the boiling point, because for whatever uh, reason, when a government is in the position to exert extraordinary powers, the intended and unintended consequences can be grave. 
As I was thinking about this situation in Ottawa, truckers have done this, uh, have done the, these things where they've uh, gone down the road on the highway, blocking all lanes so that cars can't get by to get people's attention. Maybe it's over wages, whatever it might be. We've seen them do these kind of things in the past. This, this is their turf. The roads are their turf. Um, they are big. They're heavy. Um, and they, uh, they have strong communication. They, you know, they use CB radios. They are in communication with each other and they're mobile. So it wasn't um, unusual to, I guess, find that they they were able to uh, bring this together very quickly and do the kinds of thing, things that they did and have the size of the demonstration that they were able to uh, start bringing forward in, in Ottawa and other places, Toronto and, and uh, some of these bridges. So, um, but what I also started to think about is that, like I, like I said, their size and thinking about the, the threat from them. If you had one one trucker that just didn't want to go along or he decided to, he or she decided to make a statement otherwise than just participating, uh, they could, one truck could do some serious damage. Yes. And um, uh, e- even when we look at what's happened, if we want to look at this from a disaster perspective, mm-hmm. this type of occupation that we saw in Ottawa, many people are saying this is unprecedented. We've never seen this before. Mm. And we can make the argument, yes, specifically in Ottawa. Ottawa has seen a lot of protest, but perhaps nothing like with the characteristics of this type of protest. Mm. But then we take a bigger picture on this. We could go back to 2011 with the Occupy movement and Occupy Wall Street with the occupation in uh, Zuccotti Park, uh, two blocks away from New York City's um, Wall Street, the financial center, or how the Occupy Wall Street movement operated in Washington, D.C., and McPherson Park, a couple blocks north of the White House, where the occupation in New York, uh, excuse me, the occupation for Occupy Wall Street in New York, it lasted for about 60 days. But with that occupation, you had people move in, people established makeshift temporary infrastructure, and they dug into place. Mm. But perhaps something we see different in Ottawa, what that temporary infrastructure that people for better or worse, probably mostly worse, used to maintain and sustain their makeshift occupation or their makeshift village on the streets of Ottawa, they were using heavy trucks Mm. as the backbone Mm -hmm. for that infrastructure. Mm. So everything from, think about all the hazards we have associated with um, trucks. Uh, Think of how many highway accidents we have. Mm. Think of the hazardous material, meaning Mm -hmm. the gas, the oil, everything that's need used to power a truck. Uh, think about the exhaust created. Think about the noise yep. just from the engines running. Sure. In addition to the uh, pollution from the uh, uh, keeping the engines running continuously. Sure. What we saw was an improper use of industrial vehicles used for transportation purposes. And we've seen that before with vehicles. Mm. Uh, This is not the same type of thing necessarily, but in the Toronto van attack in 2018, Mm. what did we see? Mm -hmm. We saw a van 
a vental van that was misused as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Now, could we go to the extent to say that these trucks were potentially being used as a weapon of sort in the occupation of Ottawa? Because even when we look at the back end of how the occupation um, uh, ended over the uh, past few days with the uh, situation of, um, I guess, on Friday, February 18 and Saturday, February, uh, February 19, where we saw the occupation come to an end. Authorities had to very carefully come into the city and unwind the jigsaw puzzle mm. of a number of trucks parked next to one another mm. uh, that were covered in 20 inches of snow in the mm. wintertime, mm. making from the underground disaster management perspective a very complicated situation to mm. undo. Dr. Rozilski, we'll have to leave it there, but it's been fascinating speaking with you, and I would really like to invite you back uh, possibly within the next week or so as these things continue to unravel, and we have more to talk about if you're interested. Uh, Yes, uh, David, I would be interested because I think this is a learning experience for us all, and it's sometimes unfortunate that these bad things have to happen in society, but Maybe I guess at least we could say if there is a positive perspective, perhaps we can learn from what we are doing right and what we are doing wrong. Mm. And perhaps perhaps next time Canada's faced with such an extraordinary crisis, perhaps we can do better in managing it than we are doing at the present. That is Dr. Jack Drozilski. He is an associate professor of disaster and emergency at York University. It was a pleasure to have him on the show, talking in part about uh, one of the articles he has authored in the conversation, Canada in Crisis, Why Justin Trudeau Has Invoked the Emergencies Act to End Trucker Protests. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth right after these short messages. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And it is a pleasure to welcome back to the show, Dr. Jack Radzilski. He's an associate professor of disaster and emergency at York University, and he's active in post-disaster field research as well as in teaching emergency management at the graduate and undergraduate levels. In fact, you know, we just had him on the show. I just heard him in the first part of the program, but it just so happened with so many things that are going on uh, with the Emergencies Act and with what has been happening in and around Ottawa and, of course, at at other uh, major arteries uh, leading to and from uh, the states uh, with the trucker protests, we have been speaking with him uh, quite a bit, and he has been speaking out quite a bit because he's been very busy with a number of articles, uh, which is where we're basing a lot of the conversations we have with him right now. The, the previous article we talked about was Canada in Crisis and why Justin Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act to end the truck protest. Well, we're following up with his latest article, and that is Emergencies Act Revoked After 10 Days of Police Clampdowns Help End the Blockade. So it's a pleasure to welcome uh, Jack Rozilski back to the show. Uh, Thank you, David. You know, we were talking about what would happen with the Emergencies Act once it had been invoked. Trudeau was true to his word. He he ended it as quickly as possible. Uh, Yes, because 
Um, when the uh, prime minister first implemented the Emergencies Act back on February 14th, the language he used and when when he was uh, making the case to the public why this was necessary was that the extraordinary powers would be time limited, mm-hmm. they would be uh, reasonable, and they would be necessary only for the circumstances as needed. And then we saw a situation 10 days later where the federal government voluntarily relinquished its extraordinary powers. So if we look at this from a positive perspective, uh, I'm not um, I'm not necessarily suggesting anything about the the current federal government of Canada. I'm just speaking about affairs of federal governments in general. Mm -hmm. But it's very rare when we see an executive um, uh, the executive branch, a prime minister, uh, a group of federal legislatures gain more power. It's very rare that we see them give the power back. But in this case, we saw the power taken under uh, by um, through the uh, legal process. But then we also saw the power given back or relinquished, which is uh, quite extraordinary from some perspectives. So the fact that he did revoke this after 10 days, that they decided to do that. What 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 do you think that says on on a number of fronts? First of all, uh, from the parliamentary view, what what does that say, do you think? Well, from the parliamentary review, from the parliamentary, from the process perspective, Canada's parliamentary democracy works, where we have a system of checks and balances in place to enable laws to be implemented on the ground, and that's what we've seen with this process. But, but David, I, I think one thing we have to, to do, we could take the positive perspective that this was quite extraordinary, that powers were granted and then relinquished. But then if we take a different perspective, perhaps, to suggest that all disasters are political, perhaps um, this wasn't, perhaps the Emergencies Act was relinquished because as the act was working through its process, as the crisis on the ground subsided, there were some pretty clear signals being sent that the emergency perhaps was not, and the, the emergency was not as large as it was back on February 14th mm-hmm. when it started. And from a political perspective, uh, the, the Emergencies Act had to be confirmed by the Senate. It mm-hmm. was confirmed by the House yes. on the uh, vote of, uh, I believe, 180, 185 yes, 151 no. Mm-hmm. But then there were other steps that had to take place to keep the Emergencies Act in effect. Right. And in theory, what could have happened if the act was not revoked, perhaps the Senate could have not confirmed the act or perhaps the uh, House of Commons could have came back changed their mind and took the act away. And politically, that would look very bad for a variety of reasons. If you have a federal government claiming this act is needed for the safety and security of the state, and then in the checks and balances process, the legislature 
takes that power away. Mm. So perhaps giving the power back before that happens <laughs> may look better politically from some perspectives. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. That was going to be my next question. If you thought that there was perhaps some of that going on that, that uh, he might have had it taken away had he not acted as quickly as he did? Yes, um, uh, uh, David, my, uh, my, my area of expertise is in disaster and emergency management. <laughs> Not not necessarily <laughs> politics, okay. but that being no, but uh, uh, that that being said, any time we see a complex society taking place in crisis mm. during a time of crisis, we would be foolish not to consider that there are political aspects to it. So, mm. I, I would suggest it's in the range of possibilities mm -hmm. that politics could have been influencing some of the decisions made. But I guess when uh, um, when this is when we go back historically and look at what happened mm -hmm. over the past two weeks, maybe we'll have better answers to those types of questions. Mm. Great. So we talked about how this this may have looked by by doing this so quickly from the parliamentary view. What do, what do you think it says nationally to that, that Trudeau was saying to the country? I think um, from one perspective, this was a state of crisis that was causing a certain amount of problems for different provinces, Ontario specifically, mm. with the uh, blockages of the um, international trade routes, for mm. example, the Ambassador Bridge, the occupation of Ottawa, which was ongoing for 23 days, mm. then also the problems in the western provinces with border uh, with the uh, border uh, blockages taking mm. place. Mm -hmm. So it was reaching a point where something had to be done to address the crises perhaps more quickly than what we saw as the situation that started on January 28th played out all the way almost uh, four months mm -hmm. until the end of February. So action had to be taken, but I guess the question we all want answers to now was could uh, existing laws bylaws and management procedures have been used to manage this crisis of protest blockades and occupations or was the situation serious enough to the extent that the emergencies act had to be put into place to move the crisis to its next phase of closure. And uh, David, I, I believe this program is broadcast in Ottawa, right. if I'm correct. Oh, yes, you are. And, and if we look at this from the perspective of um, the residents who lived through this crisis in downtown Ottawa, yes, that was an extreme emergency for Every considering all the interruptions, all the uh, noise, the pollution, the threats, the interruption of their life in the city, mm -hmm. this was an extreme crisis. But then we look at this from the perspective of the entire nation of Canada. Was this a localized crisis that perhaps could have been handled within the city of Ottawa, within the province of Ontario, or was this the type of thing? since it was happening in various locations, since Ottawa is the national capital, that we needed to take um, <clears throat> extraordinary measures 
for the first time in Canadian history under the Emergencies Act to get to this point we are now where the crisis is subsiding. I think those are the types of questions we have to start thinking about after witnessing the events of this week. Well, I'm glad you mentioned once again about this being in Ottawa, the nation's capital. And and I'm wondering about that in itself. And, and if, if that had, like you said, something to do with the fact that why this was brought in, because it was the national capital. Uh, because when we look at places like Ottawa, or we look at capital cities, Ottawa, or even Washington, D.C., we, um, when we have a seat of government in a place like Ottawa, uh, we know the types of dangers that could potentially exist for the city of Ottawa itself. But when we have the parliamentary precinct embedded within the city, Ottawa is a place where people live, where people uh, work, where people engage in, in, in recreation. It's, uh, and in, uh, the entire urban matrix of Ottawa itself functions as a city. Mm. But then we layer on top of that the functions of the Canadian federal government that need to take place. And I'm not suggesting necessarily that what happened in Ottawa has a one-to-one -one comparison to what happened in on January 6th, uh, on the January mm. 6th, 2021 right. insurrection right. in the United States. But if we look at what happened on January 6th in Washington, D.C., those types of uh, protests that kind of, um, those types of protests that built up to the insurrection where you had mobs overrunning the Capitol and actually getting pretty close to uh, members of the House and Senate mm -hmm. who were engaging in, in the uh, final stages of confirming the electoral process for the presidential election. We came very close to people like the Vice President of the United States, very close to the Speaker of the House, coming into con contact with persons who had some pretty extreme grievances mm -hmm. against the United States government. And that those types of actions, frankly, threatened the continuity of government if key lawmakers would have perhaps been injured or worse. Mm -hmm. Now, in the protest in Ottawa, the protest did not breach the... Um, the, the protest did not breach the West Block. The protest stayed in the downtown core with the occupation. But the point being, we there are dangers and threats that are unique to a place like Ottawa, and it's in the best interest of the nation for a variety of reasons to keep Ottawa as a safe place. Hmm. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Dr. Jad Rodzilski, and he is an associate professor of disaster and emergency at York University. And he's uh, been kind enough to come back on the show. You've heard him in the first part of the show uh, talking about an article that he uh, authored in the conversation that we took as a means of, of uh, expanding on and talking about. It was called Canada in Crisis, Why Justin Trudeau Has Invoked the Emergency Act and the Truckers' Protest. Now today... Uh, 
And following up, he was very quickly, because there's so much to talk about and so much to, I guess, write about, very busy time for him. Uh, he followed up with another uh, um, article. It is entitled Emergencies Act Revoked After 10 Days of Police Clampdowns Helped End Blockades. So it's a pleasure to have him back on to talk about this. Now, a couple of things that you, you mentioned there. I wanted to come back to, first of all, we were talking about the message and we talked about the the message that it sent when he revoked this to uh, to the House and uh, to Parliament. We also s- talked about the national message. What about internationally? What do you think this says, especially given the state that the world is in right now and we know what's going on in the Ukraine and also south of the border because of that involvement that we heard about with this um, through the, the trucker protests in Ottawa? Uh, what do you think that this says on an international level from the the government by revoking this so quickly? Uh, uh, David, if, if I may uh, just uh, get, get, tell a very brief story just from how I've experienced the international aspects of this. Please. Um, over the last weekend, I was invited to be on a television program in New Zealand, in Wellington, New Zealand, to speak about what happened in Canada on the weekend when the police moved in to push out the occupiers. This was the time when the before the Emergencies Act was revoked mm. because there is a situation currently in New Zealand that's somewhat similar where there are a group of occupiers uh, occupying the capital district in Wellington, New Zealand refusing to leave. And they were asking about how is Canada handling the situation because they have a similar situation on the ground in New Zealand. Mm. Um, my understanding was in New Zealand, they, th- the situation is slightly different where they don't have hundreds of large uh, industrial transport trucks in the occupation. That occupation is more people uh, sitting on the lawn outside of the uh, Capitol building, building up an encampment and not deciding to leave. But the point being, somehow uh, the Freedom Convoy activists have been very successful in globally spreading the message of the actions that they have taken. Mm. And these pictures, these images, this theme of of persons with uh, anti-public health mandate and anti-vaccine philosophies, I guess, taking a stand that enough is enough and taking these viewpoints to the center of a federal government, it's been noticed mm-hmm. around the globe mm-hmm. for better or mm-hmm. for worse. And right. uh, it's um, I, it's a strange uh, circumstance where a political, a social political event, event in Canada has gained so much international attention that we see, I would say, copycat type events taking place around the globe. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I think that leads back to another comment you made in this article, and that is democracy is as much a process as it is a goal. Uh, uh, correct. A, a, a process, and and what I meant by that, a process, and uh, both 
a, 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 a democracy being a process. First of all, we saw in Canada the process playing out where with the implementation of this emergencies act, uh, some um, some persons have speculated that this was a dictatorial process, that it was a process akin to martial law, even incorrectly, that it was a process perhaps similar to uh, past Canadian history with the imposition of the War Measures Act. Mm. This Emergency Measures Act was not that type of process. The Emergency Measures Act is different, and we saw that in the first week of the act being implemented, we saw one vote take place where it was confirmed. There was another vote taking place that did not finish uh, because the uh, after the first vote to confirm it, 44 hours later, the act was taken back. But under another scenario, at most, the emergency powers could have been in place from February 14 until mid-March for 30 days. Mm. After 30 days, the powers would automatically expire. And if the government still wanted to use them, they would have had to go back for an entire entire approval process again. Mm -hmm. So it's not a sure thing from the um, political standpoint that if any government decides to implement the powers, that the powers are going to stay in place a long time if there's opposition. For example, right now in Canada with the situation of a liberal minority government, if there was a circumstance with a majority government, perhaps it may be easier, but there are still a number of checks and balances in the process that take place. And I think if we step back and look at what happened in the last week in terms of the way the Canadian government decided to exert extraordinary powers. From one perspective, uh, it's shocking that we have seen these powers put into place for the first time. There are a lot of, I guess, potential future implications of doing this. Mm. But at the same time, we saw the emergency powers put into place, and then we saw the emergency powers taking back, which also, I guess, tells us something about what the goal of our democracy is, uh, mm -hmm. which um, it's too early to interpret the bigger picture meanings for uh, Canadian democracy. But we, uh, I guarantee as we understand more about this, there are going to be some which, I guess, highlight the premise of the process that's taking place. Mm. Uh, you know, on that same note, you're talking about looking back at this and what it might mean in future. Uh, that's another question that comes to mind and maybe other the same question other people are thinking about is, and that is future use of this by the fact that it has been implemented and used once now. Do you think this opens the door for that possibility of being used uh, with less concern or more easily in the future? Well, uh, this emergencies act that was implemented and then taken back first came into action in 1988. So from 1988 to 2022, a situation never arose in Canada to see its use, including one of the largest disasters ever faced in Canadian history, which we are living in, the COVID-19 global pandemic. 
uh, killing uh, approximately at this point 36,000 Canadians. That disaster did not meet the threshold to implement extraordinary powers to try to deal with the pandemic. But yet the protests, the blockades, the occupations, and the social disorder of the last few weeks did. So a question that we could ask ourselves, what kind of threshold has been set to declare this most extreme state of national emergency? Uh, because, uh, uh, David, if we, um, I guess, a step back from the present social disorder, um, we've seen a number of protests taking place in Canada in the recent past. Anything from Black Lives Matter protest to indigenous land defenders taking uh, action against the uh, pipelines mm -hmm. to various protests from trade uh, unionists taking labor actions or even student strikes. So what's not to say in the future when a different government is in place and a protest situation becomes uh, and uh, increases to a, a circumstance of some very messy social disorder, What's not to say that a future government can perhaps say, well, it was done during 2022. Why don't we use this tool again for some other type of protest, occupation, or blockade? Mm. All right. Um, with that, you mentioned Indigenous, and I was wondering, I thought I saw something referenced about uh, Ipperwash, um, which took place over 25 years ago, that, that the Emergencies Act was potentially used in that situation. I, I can't remember myself. Uh, I, I, yes, I think we, we'd have to look back at the historical record, but situations like Ipperwash, situations like the Oka crisis, mm -hmm. we know there was direct in involvement of both of uh, 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 local, uh, provincial, and the Canadian military in some mm. situations like right. the Oka crisis. But those actions were not taken through the Emergencies Act. Mm. Those actions were taken through other parts of Canadian legislation, uh, such as the National Defense Act, mm. which allows additional support from military forces for um, provincial or local activities involving certain types of public disorder. So I'm sure there'll be much for, more for us to talk about, uh, Dr. Rozilski, and I look forward to having you back on the program in the near future to uh, continue our conversations if you're interested. Uh, yes, I, I would be interested. And uh, uh, David, I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, because when we uh, uh, look at the situation of any government using extraordinary powers, the intended and unintended consequences can be very serious. So the more we understand this as a public to make good decisions, the better off I think we will all be. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you once again for uh, being on the show. And uh, we look forward to having you back. 
Thank you. All right. Take care. Dr. Jack Rodzilski, he is an associate professor of disaster and emergency at York University. It's been a pleasure to have him on the show talking about, in part, uh, and, and at least using it as a means to uh, have our conversation, his latest article in the conversation, Emergencies Act Revoked After 10 Days of Police Clampdowns Helped End Blockades. That is our show for today. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.